Well, good morning. It is so good to be with you. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Tommy and I'm one of the pastors here at Joy. And specifically, I have the privilege of overseeing the student ministry here. I'd like to take a moment to thank Pastor Brian for giving me the opportunity to share today and also welcome those of you who are joining us online and to say thank you to all of you for joining us live right here in St. Cloud. Why don't you give yourselves a hand for braving the cold weather? Before we get into the message today, I thought it would be appropriate to give you a little overview as to where we're going to be going uh, with the time that we have together today. So in the beginning, I'm going to share a little bit about student ministry to keep you updated in what is happening there. I'm also going to then share some highlights about my personal life over this last year. And then we're going to take some time to look into the Word of God and focus our attention on a rather short story. And then in the end, I'm going to share a final story, and then we're going to have announcements, things like that, and then we'll be good to go. Does that sound good? All right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about student ministry. So um, every year around this time, I always find myself getting uh, invested in some projects back in the student ministry environment here at our church. One of the reasons for that is so that when the students come back from Christmas break, there's a little bit of subtle changes to the environment that they became used to over this last year. Uh, Sometimes the changes are rather large, sometimes they're small, but change nonetheless. Um, I I tend to think that teenagers like change. So uh, we've built the tech booth, we've uh, painted, we've built the kitchenette, and this last year I had two projects specifically in mind. One of them is to build a check-in booth so that when the students come in, there's ample space for them to check in for the night. If there's first-time guests that night, there's ample space for them to register. There's paperwork there for events that are upcoming and things of that nature, and it just provides a nice welcoming atmosphere. And the second thing that we wanted to do is kind of dress up a wall that leads to the student ministry area. We wanted to build a wall treatment, and I don't even... Even, you know, I've never built a wall treatment before, but I had an idea in my head. And part of that idea was the fact that I wasn't going to be able to do this all myself. It would be nice to have the skill and the tools, but I don't have all of that. What I generally have is vision. So I was tasked to then find some, some people from Joy to uh, have them help me. And as I was going through the process of trying to explain to them what I wanted to have happen, they're just kind of looking confused. So I thought I would have to draw a picture. Has anyone ever been there before? So I drew this picture. It's coming up on the screen. And yes, this picture is over a year old now. And so I drew this picture and this is our our check-in booth. And I told them that I wanted sycamore wood put across the front of it and have the merge signs on either side. And this was the idea. And they said, well, how big? And I was like, well, about like nine feet long. They're like, oh, really? You know, and things of that nature. And then I explained to the guys the second vision, so the wall treatment. And I I drew this picture, and somehow I must have got a ruler in between the first picture and the second picture. And so this one is is a lot more nice. But again, this was the vision, but I didn't really have everything to carry out the vision and make it come to a reality. Um, I'm happy to tell you that by the time we started uh, in January of 2017, the projects were done. And here's a picture of the check-in booth uh, from two weeks ago. And the students are all excited, having fun by there and registering. As you can see, uh, there's quite a few students that we have to get through uh, that area. And then the second picture is the wall treatment. Um, Now, no one has clapped for me yet, so... um, (laughs) 
All right. <laughs> um, so it started out rather well for us in student ministry. When you have vision and it comes to reality, that's always a good thing, especially in the beginning of a new year. And that kind of carried through for the rest of the year. Many of you are probably familiar with what we call the Sycamore Fund. It's something that we started right here uh, at Joy, where uh, the student ministry raises money to support other local ministries, other local student ministries to be exact. And uh, in 2016, uh, we worked really hard and we were able to support two student ministries, which was awesome. And some people on our leadership team wondered if we'd even be able to support one. And in 2016, we were able to support two. In 2017, uh, we were able to support six student ministries. So I don't know if that's a 300% growth. So that was really awesome. And uh, we um, also seen some uh, record-breaking attendance things take place. Uh, we had an attendance barrier that we've been, we're coming up to and then coming back down and coming up to and we were never able to break through. And in October, we were able to break through that attendance barrier. Then in November, we broke that record. And then in December, we broke that record, which is always an awesome way of finishing out a year and coming into a new year. So that was awesome. There's a lot of things that are awesome, evidently. And then towards the end of the year, what I wound up finding out, and it really wasn't a surprise to me, it's something I always knew but just never really thought about, and that is that our, our adult dream team in student ministry, um, absolutely fabulous, they're, they're awesome, but that number didn't grow. And I started to have this burden uh, in my heart and my spirit that, that that group of people needed to grow. And if our student ministry, you know, dream team, as far as the adults go, didn't grow, then it's possible that the ministry isn't going to grow. I believe those things work simultaneously. And so I was just beginning to pray like, Lord, uh, bring, bring us the right people. Bring us the right people. It's important to ask for God to bring the right people, just so you know. And so I'm just praying, Lord, bring us the right people. And in the last two months of this year, uh, we had five new adult dream team members join the student ministry, which was just absolutely awesome and such a, uh, a pleasure and a joy to my heart and to Angela's as well. So over the course of 2017, a lot of great things happened in student ministry, a lot of reasons to be excited about. And I'm, I'm sitting here today also uh, filled with joy in the fact that a lot of those same things happened in my life personally, where we had a vision, an idea, a goal going into the year, and a lot of those things ended up taking place. So one of them actually um, starts back a few years ago on Angela's birthday. Uh, one of the things that I gave her that particular year was a photo album. And in the photo album, I included pictures of, of us as we were dating and engaged, and then I put pictures of the kids, and once the kids got in there, you know, she, she starts crying, and I also included some money in, in the photo album, and that was very exciting for her, and um, towards the end of the photo album, I included pictures that weren't of us, but things that we wanted to do together, things that we had yet to, to see together, and so we uh, put pictures of, of, you know, going on a trip out west, or going on a cruise, or getting a new bed, anyone like getting a new bed, um, uh, getting some new vehicles, things of that nature, things we had not yet done yet, and the hope was that someday we'd be able to replace those Google pictures with pictures of our own, and uh, this last year we were able to go out west, uh, which was absolutely awesome, up until this year, the 
furthest west I've ever been is Wilmer, Minnesota. So um, this was a very big deal for us. So uh, we went to Vegas. Uh, we uh, went to the Grand Canyon. And let me tell you, that's just an incredible place. I did not know that clouds could exist inside the Grand Canyon. Um, it is that big of a place. Uh, we also then traveled out to the Los Angeles area. We went on a whale watching tour way out. I couldn't see the California coastline. We went past the oil rigs. Uh, it was a very nervous uh, thing for me. Um, on our way back, we saw a seal. Uh, that was the only thing we saw. There, there was no whales out there, evidently. Um, but uh, an absolute incredible, incredible trip. And we're able to then replace some of those Google pictures with pictures of our own. Uh, on top of that, I was able to perform my sister's wedding. She's 10 years younger than me, so uh, that was an absolutely awesome experience. At one time, I was crying so much I couldn't read the notes on my iPad, and uh, everyone laughed. They thought that was kind of funny. That was a little nerve-wracking <laughs> for me personally. Um, then, uh, shortly after that, uh, I was actually able to go on a man trip um, to South Florida. Now, if in your mind, you're thinking, man trip, what does that mean? Uh, for me, that means a whole bunch of fun uh, sober, just so you know. Um, and uh, that was, it was absolutely incredible. And one of the things that we were able to do, which was a lifelong dream of mine, is to be able to drive a Ferrari. And uh, there's a picture of the Ferrari coming up. There she is. Mm. Um, I'll sit down or I'm going to get too excited. So we didn't drive the Ferrari like around a track where someone was sitting alongside of us telling us, you know, you need to slow down, you need to slow down, don't drive it that hard, you know, don't, don't rev it above 3,000 RPMs. Um, we, we were able to take it wherever we wanted to go for four days. And um, this was, ah, you know, an absolute dream come true. Um, we, we took it to Kennedy Space Center and back, uh, drove it in the pouring rain of a monsoon, and the thing handled like an Escalade. I never, I've never driven an Escalade, but I just think that's kind of what it was like. And um, we also were able to park it underneath the portico of the hotel. So when we were done at night, we could just park it there and leave it right in the front of the hotel. Uh, we, we explained to them that they have a $300,000 vehicle sitting in their parking lot, and they'd probably like to have that somewhere nice and secure, and hey, maybe it'll generate some business for you. And um, so they let us do that. It was absolutely awesome walking out in the morning where everyone was eating the breakfast buffet, and, and many people were looking at the car, some people taking pictures of the car, and we walked out with the keys to that car. Uh, that, that's, that's just exciting. Um, we were also able to, while we were out on the strip, uh, and uh, we would go into a store or into a place to eat, we'd come out and there would be people surrounding the car taking pictures and we were able to uh, open the car up and let kids sit in the car and basically have an opportunity at an age that I never had. Um, I will be honest with you, in, in going on this trip, one of the things I was most excited about is being able to further the passion of Ferrari in young boys. Um, <laughs> and, um, uh, and we were able to do that. Well, one kid came up to the car, and, and he was from Ireland, I believe, and I, don't, I can't do an Ireland accent, but Irish accent, accent but I'm going to try. He said, do you know that symbolism most recognizable symbol in the whole entire world. And, and I was just like, oh, you know, it's probably the cross, but the Ferrari logo is probably the second most recognizable symbol in the entire world. 
So we were able to do that. And then um, we finished out the year by celebrating my parents' 40th wedding anniversary. So they're actually watching online right now. So way to go, mom and dad. So when I survey this last year of my life personally, what I end up seeing is goals and, and plans and dreams, in, in a sense, vision, coming together with reality. And reality is our daily life. Reality is just the daily grind, the daily we get up, we go to bed, get up, go to bed. And when you have vision attached to that, that becomes a very sweet place to exist in, a very sweet place to live in. And I call that place or that, that, that place of existence living the dream. Why don't you look at a neighbor and say, living the dream. Now, with the idea of living the dream and speaking about that on a day like today, it can create a lot of emotion in people. For many, it can stir up some um, anxiety because today, more so than any other day over the course of the year, we are reminded of the vision and the goals and the dreams and the plans we had for the year that is now behind us. We're also at that time made to face the reality of where we're at in regards to that, those visions and the goals and the dreams and the plans that we had. And most of the time, for most of us, there's a distance between the two, isn't there? There's a distance between where we hope to be and where we actually are. And that distance, depending on who you are, can create a lot of adverse things within you can create anxiety, can create frustration, anger. It can create depression. It can create um, uh, broken relationships. It can create addictions. It can reinvigorate old past addictions because where we wanted to be in life and where we actually are are completely different and we don't know how to handle that. We don't know how to fix it. We don't know how to remedy it. And we oftentimes don't even have the words to explain to someone how it is that we're feeling. It would be more simple if it was just getting a fancy new red car, wouldn't it? But, but sometimes the getting the fancy new red car doesn't help us get to that sweet spot of living the dream. So if you are in that place today, where this is where you hope to be, and this is where you actually are, I have two things I want to share with you to hopefully help you. One, you're not alone. You're not alone. The enemy of your soul wants nothing more than you to feel like you're the only one that's experiencing this. That you're the only one that had a dream, a goal, and a plan, and that it didn't come through. The enemy of your soul wants you to feel right now in this moment, oh, I didn't get to drive a Ferrari. The enemy of your soul wants you to feel like you're the only person at work that hasn't accomplished what you wanted to accomplish. You're the, you're the only person at school that's failing. You're the only person at, in your neighborhood that's struggling with family relationships. I want you to know you're not alone. The second thing I want you to know is that God has not left you. God has not left you. There's a verse found in Psalms chapter 34, verse 18, that says this. It says, if your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If your heart is broken today, 
Because where you wanted to be and where you actually are are two completely different places. I want you to know God is not far from you. He's right next to you. Somehow we have a mixed up feeling or a mixed up thought, and I don't know where it comes from, that when uh, things are going bad, that's a representative of God's feelings towards us. That our current condition in life is a reflection of how God feels towards us, and that's absolutely false. I want to let you know, God did not love me anymore when I was driving a Ferrari than when we were in the urgency center with our daughter Jordan after she fainted operating a camera here at Joy. It wasn't when we were in the urgency center did, did God say, uh, no, I, I'm not with you here, but hey, when you drive the Ferrari, I'd like to be a part of that one. No, he's with us when we are brokenhearted. On top of that, it goes on to say this, if you're kicked in the gut, He'll help you catch your breath. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. It's been a long time since I've had the wind knocked out of me. But I remember, I remember the last time it happened. And if you've ever had that happen, you remember the last time that happened physically. And you know what? We know the last time it happened emotionally as well or spiritually as well, where the wind got kicked out of us. We got, we got punched in the gut, and we couldn't operate. We had no more wind in our sails to move forward. And I want to let you know today, God can supply that wind. God can supply the air that you need. God can give you your breath back to keep moving forward. But oftentimes, that is dependent upon us acknowledging that God is right there. For someone today, all of us today, God is right there, but I want you to know your focus is here. You're choosing not to see him. You're choosing not to acknowledge his presence in the midst of your storm. You need to see that God is right next to you. You're not alone, and he has not left you. To illustrate this idea a little more, I want to take some time to focus on a story that's uh, found in the Bible. It's actually in the Old Testament, so that's before Jesus was born. In a time where God used prophets to actually uh, speak his will and, and, and share his thoughts and, and purposes with the people of Israel. Uh, he spoke directly through uh, men throughout um, all of the Old Testament in, in sharing, um, you know, his, his wisdom and his plans to the people of Israel. And at this time, the prophet uh, is named Elisha. So we're going to catch up with the story here, and we're going to read the story just uh, verse by verse so we don't give away the whole thing. And uh, we're going to dig into it a little bit. It'll be great. So this is found in 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, verse 1. It says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. Now there is a lot more happening in this one verse than just a lady going to a man and saying, hey, 
my husband is dead. Now we could just read it as that and continue on with the story and still get a lot of meaning, but there is a much deeper meaning to that one simple verse than maybe many of us would realize. So we're going to dig into that a bit and uh, get the full meaning and purpose behind it. So this lady comes up to, to the prophet Elisha and says, my husband, who was a member of the company of the prophets, has died. Now, This title, Company of the Prophets, is something that we are most oftentimes not familiar with because it's a term that's not used in the Bible very often. In fact, this group of people started when the monarchy of the Jewish people or the the Israelite people started. So when Saul was made king, Samuel, who was the prophet at the time, knew that he couldn't fully provide all the services himself that the king would need and still be a prophet to the people of Israel. So what he did is he created a group of people called the Company of the Prophets to help him be able to serve the king and serve the rest of the people. In a sense, they were prophets with training wheels on. They would help with, with uh, music. Um, they would help in interpreting prophecy, just different things like that. But they weren't the prophet. So now Elisha is the prophet. And this, this lady's husband was serving Elisha. So she comes to him and she says, My husband, who is a part of this inner group, your right-hand man, has died. Oh, Okay. On top of that, she says, and you know that he revered the Lord. Now, in my mind, what what this means is you know this was more than just a job to him. It wasn't just something that he did to to pay the bills and and be one of the fancy people in Israel. He, He did this with purpose and intentionality. He cared about the things of God. Now, in between those lines, what we see is this lady said, I had a vision. We had a plan. We had goals. We had a thought of what was going to take place. This is not part of the plan. This was not the way things were supposed to go. We served God. He's a part of the inner circle and my husband is dead. There's a lot more going on than just reading at a surface level of what is taking place here. And believe it or not, the story gets worse. It gets worse. Here's what she goes on to say. She says, but now his creditor, meaning her husband who is dead, his creditor is coming to take my boys as his slaves. Now, this is something in in Western culture that you and I probably aren't too familiar with, but back in Jewish culture, especially in this day and age, they took debt very, very seriously, very seriously. And if there was ever a point when a person could not pay their debts, the creditor could actually have that person thrown in jail. The idea behind this was that while they were in jail, their their friends, their family, their loved ones would then pool together money to pay off the debt so that they can then get their you know, their family member back or their friend back. If for some reason the family couldn't pay off the debt for them, 
what would take place is they would then become a slave and have to work off their debt while not making money on top of that, their family suffering, and then hopefully at some point, everything would come back to the way it was and they would be able to go back home. This guy has died. He can't go to jail and he can't work off his debts. They're not going to put his widow or his wife to work. So they then come to take his boys, her sons as slaves to pay off his debt. How many of you know the bad situation got worse? So she's explaining this to, to Elisha. This was not the plan. This is not how it was supposed to go. And things are getting worse. They're getting worse. It then goes on to say in verse 2, Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Then he says, tell me, what do you have in your house? Now, here's, here's something that, that I think. If I just explain that situation to someone and they said, how can I help you? I, I would be, did you listen to what I just said? Help me pay the bill. Help me pay off the creditor. And then this terrible situation would hopefully be a little better. But guess what? I can't pay off the bill. That's why I'm going to you. So can you please help me? Why, why are you saying, how can I help you? You should know how to help me. Then Elisha goes on to say, hey, tell me what you have in your house. Now, if I was this lady, what? What? What does it matter what I have in my house? Help me with this problem. If I had something in my house that could help me with the problem, I wouldn't have to come see you, Elisha. So I'm here by you, Elisha, pouring out my soul, telling you my boys are going to become slaves. And you ask me, what do you have in your house? Now, I have a little bit of angst and, and, and passion here because I feel this was a very passionate moment in history. This wasn't uh, uh, just an easy conversation to my understanding. She goes on to tell Elisha, your servant has nothing there at all. She said, except a small jar of olive oil. Your servant has nothing there at all except a small jar of olive oil. Now, it is possible that she could be exaggerating the truth a little bit, but in my spirits, I, and internally, I honestly feel if you were to go back to her house, there'd be a little jar of olive oil and nothing else. Now, I don't believe that's the way it was for a long time. In fact, I, I, I tend to believe that that maybe a week before this happened, maybe a month before this happened, the house was filled with stuff. They had bedding. They had a little table. They had cups. They had utensils. They had pillows. They had maybe a sheep and a goat, um, maybe some chickens running around. I, I'm sure th life was fine. So how did she get to this place where, where life was okay and now she has just a little jar of olive oil? How, how does that happen? I, 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 in, in my mind's eye, I think she was doing the best she could to pay off the bills so that she could survive with her boys. So she sells everything, everything. When it comes time to eating, 
Her boys looking at her saying, hey, hey, mom, aren't you going to eat? It's okay, honey, I'll, I'll eat later. Or it's okay, honey, I, I already ate. Some of you know what that's like. It's okay, honey, just, just go ahead and eat. I want you to eat. And she just went without nothing to the point that she has just a little jar of olive oil. That's all I have. That's all I have. Story continues. Elisha said, go around and ask <clears throat> all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Her blessing was 100% dependent upon her belief and her faith. Her blessing was dependent upon her belief and her faith. Elisha told her what she needed to do, which is something I don't know that happened to anyone before or anyone since. This wasn't just the natural remedy that Elisha gave to people when they were having a rough time. Oh yes, I remember my grandma did this 20 years ago and it worked out for her, so I'm going to do this too. Elisha says, go around to your neighbors, get some jars, and don't ask for just a few. What that means is don't ask for three and get one. Ask your neighbor for 10 and get eight jars. And then she had to, to think about this. Who are my neighbors? Is it just my immediate neighbors? Is it the people down the street? Is it the people across town? Is it the people I know from the market? I would tend to think it's everyone. If you have the chance, you get a jar from every single place, you can find one. But if she only went to one neighbor, if she only went to one neighbor, how many jars would she have filled? Another thing I wanted to attach to this, to this thought is God has a passion in my understanding, for taking little things that seem inconsequential inconse and, and doing huge, massive things with it. He takes the rib from Adam and creates Eve. He took a bush and spoke to Moses. He used Moses' staff, just a piece of wood, and turned it into a snake. In, in the New, or we, we see David used a stone to kill Goliath. In the New Testament, we see Jesus took water, jars of water, and turned them into wine. We see Jesus took some mud and put it on a blind guy's eyes and he could see. Jesus took two fish and five loaves and fed 5,000 people, taking a little bit and doing an incredible thing with it. God has a passion for using our stuff, the stuff we skip over, the stuff we don't think is enough, and use it to do incredibly awesome things. And that is what happened with this lady. But if she didn't have the faith, and she didn't believe, she would have stayed in the place and in the condition 
that she was in. She'd have stayed in that same exact place. So the story continues. It says, after the the olive oil stopped flowing, she went and told the man of God, and he, he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Now, I find it interesting that after having who knows how many jars that are in her house, she goes, huh, now what am I supposed to do? And she goes back to the man of God and says, now what am I supposed to do? It's interesting that Elisha gave her like the first step. Just do this. And then after you do that, it it requires her to then come back and say, now what am I supposed to do? Now what am I supposed to do? And he tells her, take the oil, sell it. Pay off your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left. What an amazing, amazing story. So what does this have to do with you and I? Just like her, we have a plan. Just like her, we had a vision. Just like her, we had a dream. Just like her, we had a goal of what we wanted to see happen in our life. We're coming up short. We're coming up short. So I have a few questions and a few thoughts that I want you to consider in regards to this story that if, if your vision for your life is here, but your reality is over here, that I feel if you were to take these things to heart and apply them to your life, you would see these things come together. And the first one is this, to whom will you go? To whom will you go? You're having a struggle. You're having a problem. You're not living the dream. You're living the nightmare if you're living at all. To whom will you go? You can go to your neighbors, you can go to your friends, you can go to your family, you can go to a pastor. I have heard though that, that pastors in certain counseling sessions will, will talk to the individual and they'll say, have you prayed yet? You're coming to me and I, I, I thank you that you're coming to me, but have you talked to God yet? If you haven't talked to God yet, why are you coming to me? Talk to God. Go to God. He does not need to be your last resort. He does not need to be your last resort. To whom will you go? All roads towards living the dream leads to God. And if someone hasn't gone to God, that just means they're living a false perception of living the dream. God is included in, isn't included in the mix you don't have living the dream. To whom will you go? The second thing I want to ask you is how can God help you? How can God help you? It might seem like a redundant question, like Elisha saying to this woman, how can I help you? I believe, though, it was an important moment where she has to recognize her needs and then express how they can be solved. Many people today feel like if they just had more money, more money, it would help everything. More money, it would help everything. I want to tell you something. If you won the Powerball last night, which I don't know if anyone did. If you did, let me know. If you won the Powerball last night, your kids' grades are still terrible. 
If you won the Powerball last night, guess what? Your grades are still terrible. You still have a teacher. If you won the Powerball last night, you're still in trouble with the law. If you won the Powerball last night, the court case doesn't go away. If you won the Powerball last night, the relationship between you and your spouse doesn't automatically get better. It potentially gets worse. Asking God, just give me more money, isn't going to solve the issue. It's deeper than that. How can God help you? Put words to it. When you pray, just, don't just, God help me. What? What do you want me to do for you? Speak it out. I know what I'm supposed to do for you, but you need to know what I'm supposed to do for you. Does this make sense to anyone? How can I help? Another thing I want you to consider is to look at what you have. We skip over the things that we have. and We think they're inconsequential and they don't mean anything. And it's not enough to take care of the problem. Look at what you have. In my, my preparation for today, there's, there's a thought that kept coming to me when, when I was going over um, the message at this point, and I don't know who it's for, but I, I firmly believe there's someone here, hopefully it's here and not the second service. I firmly believe that some of you that are struggling or having issues or problems or not being able to meet your needs, you have something in your possession that you don't know the value of. And if you found out the value of that possession that you just skip over and you think is inconsequential, yes, I'm talking about like antique roadshow. I didn't know this picture was worth $300,000. You have something. You have something. Look at what you have. You have talents. You have giftings. You have, you have, you have things you can do that can help you can write the note. You can write the letter. You can send the email. You can apply for the job. You can say, I'm sorry. You have the physical ability to say, I'm sorry. Look at what you have. The last thing, don't limit God's blessings in your life. Don't go for just one jar well, God, I got one jar, filled it up to the top, just like, just like they did when Jesus with the wine and filled the water to the top. I told you to go and ask for not just a few. Go to your neighbors. Don't limit the blessings of God in your life. If he has told you something already, do that. And then he's going to give you the next step when you come back to him. God, I won the Powerball. Okay, God, what do you want me to do with the Powerball? He's not going to give you step eight if you haven't bothered to go through step one. Does this, does this make sense? You got to come back to him. It's kind of how it works. He's a genius like that. You got to come back to him. I got a final story I want to share with you. So, <clears throat> Monday morning, South Florida. My friend is sleeping in the hotel room and we have a Ferrari sitting under the portico of the hotel just calling my name. Tommy, Tommy. So I get up, get dressed, grab the keys, 
walk down, the ho- down to the lobby of the hotel and there's people eating breakfast and some guys looking out the windows at the car because they're too cool to go up to the car themselves. And I'm just going to look at it from, yeah, that's a nice car. It's a nice car. By this time, we know the front desk people nearly by name. They know us. So as I walk out, I'm like, hey, guys, have a great day. They're like, you too, have a great day, have fun. And I get in the car, and a Ferrari does not start like your Ford F-150. (laughs) And I will tell you, after having one for four days, praise God, It is worth every single penny. There is not a more beautiful man-made thing on the face of this earth than what comes out of Marinello, Italy. Oh. So, I I waited a second for that just to, to resonate. Okay, all right. So I get in the car, pull it out of the put the convertible top down, pull it out of the the hotel, and I'm sitting at the first stoplight, and a husband and wife in their SUV pull up right behind me, and I'm looking in the rearview mirror, and I can tell that the husband's trying to explain to his wife about the awesomeness of the car that's sitting right in front of him, and he's like going like this, and he's saying the engine is in the back, and she's like, what, what? The engine's in the back? Well, where's the trunk? And I don't know where the trunk is, but look at the car. This was an amazing experience for me because 99.9 infinity, I'm the guy in the SUV. And this is the time where I'm in the Ferrari. I knew the guy would like that. Light turns green and I'm off and never see them again. Living the dream. Just driving wherever I wanted to go. And I end up uh, coming into this valley and there is a massive cross sticking straight up in the air. This massive cross. You can look it up in Orlando. It's called Church at the Cross. This cross is 199 feet tall, costs the church $1 million to build, and they built it so the people of Orlando would know there's a church there. And I see this cross and I'm like, oh. It's about time I need to head back, you know, to the hotel. But I, let's, let's go to the cross and we'll turn around and come back. There's this cool spiritual moment there. So I'm driving and the left-hand screen of the dashboard all of a sudden says, caution, caution. And it, it made noises that a Ferrari is never supposed to make. And I was like, huh? And I looked and it said, Tire pressure, tire pressure is low. Stop immediately and get service. I was like, cancel, cancel. (laughs) If it's serious, it'll tell me again. So I get to the church and see the huge cross. Like, wow, that's a big cross. And then turn around and come back. And the car never told me again. And so I'm thinking... Maybe this is a serious matter. So I pull over, leave the car running, put it in park, and um, it is a process knowing how to drive one, just so you know. It's not like your Buick. Um, So even putting the thing in park is like, how do I do this? So I put it in park, left the car running, walk around the driver's side rear and come around to the passenger rear tire. The passenger rear tire of a Ferrari. This is a Ferrari tire. All right. I'll move this so you guys can see it. All right. 
<laughs> so passenger rear tire. And I, and I, look, I, I look at the tire and I hear this noise. This and I thought to myself, maybe there's something with the engine. Maybe there's something with that or whatever. So I walk back to the driver's side rear tire and I don't hear the same noise. And I think, uh-oh. I come back to the passenger side rear tire and I get down on my knees next to my $300,000 Ferrari that I've gotten to drive for four days and I put my hand above the tire and I can feel the air leaving the tire. I can feel it leaving the tire. And for the first time in however many days, the vision for my life and the reality of my life were separating and I thought, this is not a good situation to be in. And I think, okay, okay, okay. All right, sweetheart, I'll get you home. I called her sweetheart. Okay, sweetheart, I'll get, I'll get you home. So I'm driving. I stop at a gas station. Their, their gas station pump is broke. I stop at another gas station, which no car like a Ferrari has ever stopped at before in their life. And the only thing I have is $100 cash in my pocket. So I, so I come up to her. I say, I got, can, you, can you break this $100 bill for me so I can go put some air in the tire of my Ferrari? They said, we can't break that for you. So then I go to another gas station, then their air pump, they took cards. And so I was able to put some air in the tire and I'm driving it back to the hotel, praying to God that I make it. Not with the same emotion that I left the hotel. It's amazing how an hour can change your perspective. I pulled it back into the hotel and it wasn't a Ferrari prancing horse at that time. To me, it was like a lame duck. And the dream that I had was gone. Our day of fun, because this was still early in the morning, was ruined. And my God. I go upstairs and have to tell my friend, hey, guess what? <laughs> We're not driving the Ferrari today. I text my wife and the first things I tell Angela is, honey, you need to pray for me because I'm not in a good moment right now. And I know some of you are thinking, Tommy, it's a tire. It's my dream. And what she tells me and what my friend tell me completely united and they tell me, they said, don't hold on to this moment. Don't let this moment take away from all the joy and all the fun and all the great experiences you had driving the car. It's a tire, it'll be okay, it'll get fixed, but don't let this ruin what you had. So what I'm here today to tell you is do not hold on to the flat tire moments of 2017. Do not hold on to them because what you hold on to from your past is directly going to dictate what you receive in 2018. If you hold on to every negative bad moment from this year, that is what you're going to receive in 2018. It just works that way. Let the flat tire moments go. 
so you can grab hold of the great things that happen this year and welcome the great things that will happen next year. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. God, sometimes we experience flat tire moments in our pursuit of the cross. We're serving you, we're loving you, going after you, and yet terrible things wind up happening. Lord, help us to know we're not alone, but more importantly, help us to know you have never left us. And you're right by our side. For some reason, Lord, we've turned our back on you. We've rejected you or we've stopped hearing you. Lord, I pray that we would find ourselves on our knees before you. First of all, asking you to be our Lord and Savior. And then responding when you say, how can I help you? Thank you so much for being a Savior and Lord. That you would look at your people and say, how can I help you? All we need to do is fill in the blank. Thank you so much for all that happened in 2017 for all that will happen in 2018. In your glorious and holy name, amen. We're so happy you joined us today. If you're ever in the St. Cloud area, we invite you to join us for one of our 9 or 1045 a.m. services. If you made a decision today to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, we'd love to hear about it. We invite you to email us or contact us through our website, greatjoy.org.